Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, here we are on Masters Friday, right? It's an exciting time of the year. I love this. This is probably my favorite season. Well, it's certainly my favorite sporting event. Well, for sure. For sure. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's just an exciting time of the year. Here in Augusta, just to be here with all the excitement and all the all the people that are in yeah, town. and uh, wonderful. Great atmosphere. So, um, And welcome to our show. You know, um, we have a great show lined up for today. We're going to start off talking about... Audit triggers to avoid. No, that's yeah. not real positive. Well, it's not. It is positive because you don't want to get audited. Yeah, it's so you taxes, want to be, though. I mean, well, tax season's almost behind us, right? Oh, we're yeah. almost there. Getting and, close. Uh, so now it's time to start thinking about how to position yourself next year. Yeah, a little planning. To, to avoid an audit because there are some 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 things that do trigger some audits. So we want to help you avoid those. Yeah, and then we're going to discuss uh, retirement. Uh, CNBC survey recently found that Americans more confident about saving for retirement, but it doesn't mean that they're not worried. So dive into some of the details and kind of some some thoughts and feelings out there from the uh, general public. So a good good conversation on that. Yeah, that'll be good. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 24 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and I've also been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast, also a lot of videos and tools, calculators. You can you can spend hours out there on our website, Steve, and um, Facebook page, Twitter page, a lot of different ways to connect with us. And all of our old shows are out there, yeah, they hundreds are. of shows. <laughs> so you can, you know, look at the topics and pick your favorite topic mm-hmm. and let's take a listen. So there you go. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is a, a Masters fact. You know, we're in the in the throes of the Masters tournament. What a great time of the year. And, you know, the Masters is now the most viewed golf tournament in the world. It broadcast in more than 200 countries. But it wasn't all, always that way. If you look back in uh, to 1956 when it was televised for the first time, all CBS stations within a 200-mile radius of the club were were blacked out from showing the tournament, and they were trying to help with ticket sales. Mm. And the blackout was lifted in 1969. I don't think they have that issue anymore. They don't have that problem anymore. Funny about that. You know, that's the way some football games do, right? Mm-hmm. They don't let you, yeah, trying to get let you there. watch it locally, trying to get you there. But, uh, yeah, certainly not that problem anymore. Boy, ticket, it is, I think it is certainly the hardest ticket in sports. I think yeah, it is. I've heard that from time to time, and, and that certainly proves to be true today. So uh, interesting fact of the week. All right, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is audit triggers to avoid. Um, yeah, this is based on an article out of uh, Bottom Line Personal, uh, Edwin Mendelitz. And, um, you know, now that tax season's almost behind us, John, I mean, it's a great time to kind of reflect on what you're doing, what might put you at risk, for an audit next year and beyond. Um, the good news is that your chances of being audited are only about one in six, one in 160 on average. Mm. So there, the chances aren't great unless you're doing some of these things that, that tend to up your chances significantly. 
Um, although some people, you know, do have a higher chance of being audited just based on things like their income. Um, but some of the red flags that trigger audits, you know, may not be the ones that you can or want to avoid. For instance, um, you know, if you make a lot of money, like I mentioned, your odds do go up. Your odds increase when you get over uh, $200,000, between 200000 and a million, um, you have about a 1 in 80% chance of being audited. Uh, if you make more than a million, then your chances go up to 1 in 25% chance. Mm. 1 in 25. Yeah, 4%. Yeah. So there you go. It gets gets up there. Um, but hey, we would all take that chance, right? That's right. And it's, you know, it's not a huge chance. It's bigger than the lottery significantly. So <laughs> significantly. You just need to do things right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and there's several types of audits. You could have a sit down audit or it could be like a, a desk audit where they just ask for information. Now, you know, what you get in the mail, those those notices you get that about a year later that tell you, you know, that you have income you didn't report and they, they, they think you owe them some tax. Those aren't really audits. Right. You know, those are just correction notices. They're just correction notices. Those are match run. They have a match program that they run that says, hey, did the information you report on your return, did it match what? what uh, what they received in 1099s. And if it didn't, they're going to ask you to rectify that and to either send them more money or prove that you uh, don't owe tax on that money. That's not audit. We're talking about like when the IRS actually pulls your file, a real person looks at it, and you either have a sit-down audit or you you um, have a desk audit where you they, they send you a letter requesting some very specific information about your taxes. Um but if you possess any of these red flags that could trigger an audit, then the odds get much greater than averages. You know, fortunately, though, there are ways to deal with many of the red flags, in part by taking a little extra care in preparing your tax returns and being aware of the proper filing requirements, which are pretty clear in the instructions, you know, for each reporting form. Um, but, of course, you know, most people don't read all the instructions. So, you know, for instance, I mean, if there's a Schedule C um, which uh, you use to report income or losses from a business that you operate or a profession that you practice as a sole pr- proprietor, um, the odds double again that you're going to face an audit. But there are some ways to reduce those odds. So here are some of the potential red flags that you should always um, be cognizant of and that you can deal with to lower your chances of being audited. Yeah, I mean, if you're self-employed, I mean, that's going to, you know, potentially increase the odds. Um, it's hard to avoid having expenses that are red flags, but disclosing those expenses on your Schedule C and answering all the, the related questions can reduce the questions IRS may have. As in, an example of what to do is to, to show that for the gifts, um, that for the items whose allowable amount, am, amounts are limited, such as entertainment, cost, or business gifts, you're deducting the right amount. So when the form asks questions such as what is your inventory method, basis of accounting, um, or home usage, you got to make sure you respond and put that information on there. Yeah, so just answering all the questions on Schedule C, <clears throat> that's a good tip. Next one here is taking deductions for large charitable contributions in not filing Form 8283. Um, yeah, so there are some strict rules for charitable deductions requiring disclosure for non-cash uh, contributions over $500 um, and over $5,000, uh, which you know also require appraisals <clears throat> sometimes. Um, so overlooking those requirements will cause an inquiry and further, you know, very large deductible amounts in relation to your gross income, including low interest and dividends, 
and high mortgage interest, um, those will pique an interest, an audit, <clears throat> uh, an agent's interest as well. So many times, you know, the relative amounts uh, may not seem logical. So provide an explanation, you know, of what seems <clears throat> illogical in the amounts. Um, that's going to help your chances of avoiding an audit as well. But make sure you fill out that form 8283 um, for large charitable deductions. And then the uh, next one here is deductions for rental losses. <clears throat> you know, these always raise an alarm. Um because, you know, they're limited in the amount um, any given year, but they can be carried forward. So make sure that your Schedule E reporting rental income is fully and properly completed. It's Form 8582, um, <clears throat> and there are passive activity loss limitations. So you might be required to file that, and this also raises potential, uh, you know, potential audits. So if you're having rental losses year by year, it's going to raise your potential. Yeah, uh, alimony deductions are another, you know, flag. This requires the, you know, the Social Security number of the recipient. Uh, so you got to make sure you include that if you have multiple former spouses receiving alimony. Got to attach a schedule with the uh, the name, Social Security numbers, and the amounts. And if you're receiving alimony and ne neglecting to report it, um, it'll generate a notice and possibly an audit as well. Yeah. Another one, though, that, that piques their interest for auditing you would be writing off hobby losses. You know, a lot of people have a hobby and they they, they tend to, to claim that it's a business mm -hmm. and uh, it looks more like a hobby. And that always raises questions um, you know, whether or not the transaction engaged in was for profit or just a hobby, and therefore maybe it sh shouldn't be deductible. Um, you may not be able to stop an IRS notice about this, but um, you can prevail with the proper records and the proof that your business of your business intent, such as advertising, um, sales, recognition within an industry. So just be careful about, you know, claiming a hobby as a business and claiming losses for it. Deducting business meals and travel entertainment is another item that piques audit interest. Um, you know, these deductions are no longer allowed in many instances, you know, and where they're not, uh, they make you make sure you identify the clearly deductible purpose when you're listing these expenses. So instead of showing one amount, you know, on a line item provided on the form, write in the item with a brief description in the miscellaneous section where items are listed for <clears throat> for which, you know, there are no lines on the form. So just make sure you provide as much detail as possible on these types of business deductions. Yeah, another flag is failing to report a foreign bank account. Uh, this disclosure or lack of disclosure is a big deal. Failing to, to check the yes-no box on the bottom of Schedule B uh, is a cause for a, a, a potentially an audit. <clears throat> Further, if you have income from a foreign account, uh, make sure you report it on Schedule B, even if no Form 1099 was provided to you from the payer. And uh, if required, file the you know the properly uh, prepared disclosure form also is a part of that. Yeah, another one here is claiming 100% business use for a vehicle, you know. Yeah, that'd be hard. <laughs> that'd be hard to do. I mean, unless the auto, you know, sits in the garage in front of your place of business and solely used for business purposes, it's not possible to have an auto that's 100% used for business. So be smart. Allocate between actual business and personal use and don't claim 100% on your, your, your vehicle for business. The next one here is incorrectly reporting health insurance premium uh, tax credit, uh, the health premium tax credit. Um, you know, these are confusing, not always handled properly. So read the instructions. Make sure if you're, if you're taking that credit 
that you're doing it properly. Yeah. Another uh, flag is taking an early payment from an IRA or 401k account. And this early distribution needs to be reported. And um, you need to self-report the early distribution penalty, which is done on IRS form 5329. And if you believe the penalty should not be assessed, make sure you include an explanation Um, And further, if you receive a distribution that is rolled over and is tax-free, make sure you uh, report this property on the right line on page one of uh, your 1040. So a lot of items here. You definitely want to consult a tax professional on these. Okay, the next one here, you know, your risk of an audit is probably your your least problem with this. (laughs) And that is claiming day trading losses improperly on Schedule C. Okay, well, if you're doing day trading, you have bigger problems than a tax audit, okay? Because <laughs> you're probably losing lots of money or you're going to eventually. <laughs> so right. let's just start off by saying avoid day trading altogether, <clears throat> you know. But uh, if you are day trading, make sure you report it properly on Schedule C, uh, you know. But if you have losses from day trading, that may be a clue that you need to stop the day trading, That's okay? Right. Let's don't do day trading. If you're claiming this on Schedule C, that could be a sign. It could be a sign. You have bigger problems than uh, than a tax audit. So, all right. Well, so the next one here also has some uh, questionable. It's a little cloudy. Questionable origins, <laughs> and that is operating a marijuana business. Is that legal? Yeah, apparently. Some states it is. Apparently it is in some states. Well, it is obviously. If you're in Colorado, yes, yeah. you can operate a, a marijuana business, but. You know, I mean, the federal statute still bars, you know, tax deductions from sellers of controlled substances that are illegal under federal law, such as marijuana. So, hey, our suggestion would be stay away from any business that deals with marijuana because you will be audited eventually. Yeah, and uh, gambling winning, Steve. I mean, you go out to Vegas and you win big, you got to report that. I'm afraid so. 1099G, depending on the nature of the activity, and uh, you need to be familiar with the rules. Uh, you can go do some research on 1099G and, and read over it and make sure you're not omitting that income. So you got to make sure that that's all included in there. Yeah, that's right. And then, you know, cash received in commercial transactions. For the um, marijuana business? From the marijuana business. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're engaging in a big currency transactions and as a business and you receive over $10,000 in, in cash, that has to re- be reported on Form eighty three hundred. So uh, just be careful about that. You got to make sure you report that properly. And the last one here is claiming the foreign earned income exclusion. Um, yeah, if you lived or worked abroad, you may qualify for earned income exclusion. That has to be reported on Form twenty five fifty five, and including your tax return. So you know, be careful of that as well. Anyway, you know, I mean, there are other areas, of course, where the IRS will send you a notice or a bill um, indicating an adjustment in return. Like I said, those are not audits, but, uh, you know, these are the things that that tend to to pique the most interest in an IRS audit. Um, So just be careful when you're doing return, when you're setting up your business, when you're reporting your business, that you're doing it properly and you're not you're not leaving out details that would trigger an audit. That's kind of the bottom line here. And that leads up here to our next item, which is the question of the week. This question is talking about 401k plans. I'm starting a new job. My 401k plan has 40 
different mutual funds, how do I know what I should even invest in? And you know, this is dangerous, Steve, because a lot of times what people will do is they'll go down and say, well, gosh, what's done the best over the last five years or 10 years? And they'll select those and they'll all be in one sector like U.S. funds. have yeah. Large funds have done really well over the last 10 years. And people make the mistake of investing in that sector. <clears throat> That's a big mistake. I mean, because we see those sectors go through five or even 10 years making zero. So you want to be diversified. If you don't have any idea or not working with an advisor that can help you, go pick a target date fund. Um, exactly. That would yeah. be a reasonable option. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't get carried away. Just pick one of the funds that does it all for you or, you know, or pick a good allocation that's diversified. And for heaven's sake, don't put all your money or a whole bunch of your money in the company stock fund. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of companies have a stock fund and that's a real popular option as well. But you know, don't do it. You're you're just you're just speculating with your money. Yep. You're gambling with your retirement savings. So be diversified. That's the key here. So all right, good question. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is Americans more confident about saving for retirement. Um, new survey finds. Yeah. So still good. Yeah, good news. It is. It is. This came from uh, CNBC. Uh, Sarah O'Brien. And uh, good news is, yeah, uh, you're feeling. Generally, Americans are feeling more optimistic about saving for retirement, but uh, still worry about it a lot. And, and more than half of adults are, are either somewhat more confident um, or more confident than about their ability to save for retirement than they were three years ago. And again, that's a, 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 a recent study. CNBC and Acorns uh, did a survey. Um, but, you know, there's still some concern. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised by those findings because, I mean, <clears throat> there are so many young people now that come out of college with so much debt. Mm-hmm. It seems like that would be, you know, that would start eroding their confidence in retirement. But, you know, despite this boost, um, which comes amid a strong economy, you know, saving for retirement also ranks as the overall top personal finance concern at 23 percent and markedly so for age 45 to 64 year olds in that age group, the survey shows, you know, so I mean, um, yeah, if you're laughing at your long term goals, you know, you're, you're, you're always going to feel concerned. But if you're, uh, if you're lagging your long term goals, but if you're, you know, in a good spot now, then, you know, obviously, you're, you're more confident. But if you're approaching retirement, that group that's right before retirement, that's in that kind of that 15, 20 year window, that tends to be the group that has the most concern. That's right. And uh, you look back at the Great Recession, which ended in uh, early of you know, 2009. We went through that in 2008, and then the, the first two months of 2009 was horrible. Um, you know, that's in the rearview mirror, and so we've been recovering from it. It's, it's proved challenging for a lot of folks, and competing priorities, including home purchases. Um, you mentioned student loan debt, financial emergencies you know, higher health expenses, it's, they're squeezed a lot of household budgets. So, you know, while, you know, there are some positive things out there, it's not all rosy. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, now with the economy and its 10th year of expanding wages creeping up and unemployment below 4%, experts say that being in a better place financially is a good opportunity to address your savings anxiety and start saving more for retirement and get more serious about it. So, you know, if you haven't already uh, done some financial planning, um, <clears throat> you know, or, or, hel- or gotten some help with that, um, you know, then now's the time to do it. Um, you know, if you, you, it's time to get started planning for retirement. That's going to relieve some of the anxiety, 
some of the ambiguity out of what retirement looks like, and it's going to help motivate you to get on the right track for saving for retirement and re- relieve this anxiety. Yeah, and it's interesting. They did a uh, part of the study was done by uh, political affiliation, so Republican, Democrat. And normally when you ask a question, you can tell, you know, you can tell um, that the question you can tell what the answer was, right? Right. But right. It's, it's generally the same. It's about 60% um, of being comfortable with you know saving for retirement, whether you're Republican, Independent, or Democrat. They were all very similar I'll bet. answers, which is surprising a little bit. Most time people view, try to take their party position on it, but you know this is a very individual question. Here was another interesting thing, Steve, is um, only 17% of survey respondents said they use a financial advisor. Hmm. That's a very low number. It's a pretty low number, yeah. I mean, I wonder how many of those are young folks. Obviously, when they get older, they, yeah. they tend tends the number. I'm sure tends sure. to be higher. Sure, and and you know, financial advisors can help you. You know, do those savings, you know, retirement plans, advise you in other aspects of your financial life. Most respondents, about seventy five percent, said they manage their money uh, without any help at all. And if you're in that crowd and you're committed to to you know being a D, DIY do it yourself kind of. Uh, financial person, then then that's fine. There's there's tools out there to to help you see if you're on track for your savings, and certainly there's steps that uh, you'll find out there on the internet. Dave, the Dave Ramseys of the world that'll help you address some of those shortfalls. I guess some of that seventy five percent are the day traders <laughs> we just talked about. I guess right. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, if you use an online inflation calculator to see the anticipated value of money in ten or twenty years, um then you can really see how much you need to save to get where you need to go um, because it makes inflation makes a huge difference. So, you know, say you spend $4,000 a month now and you anticipate that your expenses are going to remain, you know, where they are. The calculator will tell you what amount you'll need down the road. And, you know, if you look out 30 years, it's probably double that amount. So Mm -hmm. um, you want to make sure you, you, you factor inflation into your retirement planning numbers. Yeah, and if you um, you know you've got to look at all sources of income, you know to to see what that looks like. So security, business income, pensions, and so forth. And if you discover you're falling short, there there are ways to boost your savings. For example, you can take a hard look at your your budget, figure out some of the frivolous expenses you can eliminate, put that towards your nest egg. Um, you can also you know find small daily amounts to cut out that add up, you know to to significant money over the course of the year. And you can also generate potentially more income. Um, you know, today it's easy to pick up a second job or a side job to bring extra money uh, into, you know, you got the gig economy out there. We see, uh, you know, folks doing Uber and, and so forth. So you can just you can just put anything you want from the second job right into your savings to help with that. Yeah, that's right. And the contribution limits for your 401k plan this year have gone up a little bit. They're ni- it's $19,000 for uh, for individual 401k plans. Um if you're over 50 years old, there's a $6,000 catch-up provision for that as well. So there's a lot of money you can put in your 401k plan that will get you well on your way to retirement. Um, also, you can use a Roth IRA or traditional IRA outside of your plan if you qualify. And uh, that's $6,000 a year that you can put into a Roth IRA outside your plan. So we certainly recommend that you do that. It's seven mm-hmm. if $7,000 if you're over 50. So you want to take advantage of all the retirement savings vehicles out there for you. Yeah. And another part of having confidence in savings and retirement is um, knowing how a stock market drop would impact your portfolio. And we talked about this, you know, uh, last time is, is how would you react to it? Um, Do you view it as an opportunity? You're putting money in, you're buying more. 
uh, you got to examine your risk tolerance. I mean, we know historically the markets are down about 25% of the time. So you have to plan on those down times and not try to time the market, but use it as an opportunity. And for younger savers, those who don't need the money for decades, generally you can be more aggressively invested in stocks and not worry about the volatile times or extended, you know, down, down markets. I mean, historically the stock market has done well. Um, and, uh, you just have to, you know, stay invested and be well diversified through the downturns. And for older savers with retirement on the horizon, you know, you might want to adjust your asset allocation. Maybe you have more bonds, you know, 30 to 50% in bonds. Um, that gives you some stability that when the markets are down, you can pull income from that side of the, the, the portfolio. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, nobody can predict with any certainty when the economy of the stock market is going to turn sour um, and to what degree it will. So, you know, the safe assumption is that when that happens, um, you're, if you don't have a plan, you're going to be more likely to react emotionally to a drop in your portfolio value, you know, if you haven't anticipated that ahead of time. I mean, when we run retirement numbers, we typically have, you know, nine or 10 negative years mm-hmm. built into that 40 year projection um, most of the time. So we have that plan already built in, you know, and if you don't have a plan in place, then, you know, you, your, your freak out risk, as they call it here, mm-hmm. is a lot higher, you know. I mean, you risk going to cash at the wrong time um, at the bottom of the market and then reinvesting it at the top of the market if you don't have a plan in place to, to keep you diversified and invested long term. So make sure you have a good plan in place and you know know where to head you're headed and you're you're planning to ride out, you know, those those tough times in the market. Yeah, bottom line is is that if you prioritize retirement savings, you create a plan that matches your goals and your vision, um, you're more likely gonna have, you know, peace of mind. And when people have a plan that accounts for whether things go well, you know, or go, you know, poorly, um, they have a better chance of succeeding. So it really comes down to, to planning a little bit, but some positive news out there. Um you know, markets have had a pretty good run since, um, you know, 20, 2016. Um, last year was challenging, but it's, you know, this first quarter that we've had was a good good quarter. Yeah, it was a nice rebound, and hopefully markets will be well on their way to, to some new gains here shortly. But we will see. But that's all good news. And that leads up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. The most common password out there, Steve, is one, two, three, four, five, six. That's so, mm, not very creative. Followed by closely by the word password. Password. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah, prescription is is when you're setting passwords, use symbols, use some caps. <laughs> um, don't use whole words. Uh, I saw some statistics on this, and five characters takes a professional hacker or system about ten seconds to crack, and eight characters takes um, a system 115 days to crack. And if wow. you have 10, it takes three years. So wow. just the combinations that go yeah. through it, it just, it, you know, ex- exponentially, the more characters and so if characters. So at least eight will stretch yeah. out where it's unlikely they're going to break it. If you put 10 characters in there, it's there's fun. almost impossible. Yeah. That's what it's saying. That's yeah. pretty neat. It is neat. neat. It was, yeah, <clears> it was, did some research on that one. So yeah, just, just, you know, set some, you know, be proactive in that area. Yeah, change, um, change your old passwords. Don't yeah. leave the old... Uh, Don't make password your password. Your old password or your street name, yeah. you know, no longer your password. So good prescription of the week. All right, well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. 
And email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 